Business and Buckets. We are live, episode 85, coming right at you on this beautiful Thursday afternoon. Uh, we have some sun here in Seattle. I'm ready for those for those summer days. It's been a, a wet, gray winter, that is for sure. But we have a lot to talk about. We have the NBA playoffs heading towards the NBA Finals, the NHL playoffs in the Western and Eastern Conference Championships, obviously baseball warming up, which I'm not too happy about. I was watching... Game one of Yankees Angels doubleheader and quickly stopped watching that, um, which we'll talk about later. Some NFL headlines, and we're previewing this week's UFC Fight Night card, UFC Vegas 56, as the UFC is back in action. Love to see it after the weekend off, the holiday weekend off. But before we talk sports, we're going to talk fueled supplements. The Business and Buckets podcast is proudly sponsored by Fueled Supplements. If you guys are an elite athlete, a busy mom on the go, or just looking for the perfect product to suit your daily wellness needs, Fueled Supplements has you covered. Choose from their selection of premium sports and wellness formulas backed by over 30 years of market experience. Go to FueledSupplements.com and use my promotion code BUCKETS, that's B-U-C-K-E-T-S, for 15% off all products. And again, it's summertime, you're like, dang, I gotta slim down, I'm trying to get shredded, uh, I would like to add some supplements to the table. Feel free to reach out for recommendations. I have uh, some people on standby as well. Plus, save some money and help support small business. That's what it's all about. That's the American dream. So, episode 85 in June. It's already June. I cannot believe it. Rocking my avalanche gear because one team is actually treating me right this year with all the high expectations. But before we talk hockey... Let's talk about the UFC fight night this weekend and some fights that have been announced around the MMA world. In the UFC, we have some fun ones. Um, Augusto Sakai taking on Sergey Spivak. Two guys, you know, been up and down in the heavyweight division. That'll be a fun banger. Katlyn Chukagian right back in the octagon. She's taking on another up-and-coming stud. That seems to be Chukagian's role as she has struggled against the best of the best. Um, and kind of the gatekeeper situation that she's been in. She's taking on the very good Manon Fierro. That's going to be a fun fight and see if Manon is ready to, to take it up a notch. Um, the Korean zombie announcing that he will retire after his next fight. I don't think that's too surprising after what we had saw after, you know, his last title run. Mark DeCasey versus Demir Hadzovic. Mark DeCasey right back in there in the octagon. It'll be fun to see. You know, if he sticks to wrestling, what he, what he keeps doing moving forward. We have Shamil Abdurakimov taking on Jalton Almeida, who just won as well. Um, and, and a big boy clash. And then Sue Maderi versus Matt Schnell for the flyweights. So some fun fights booked um, with an already very impressive slate this summer. And officially, we had talked about Charles Jordan versus Shane Burgos. That did get booked, but it is not UFC 276, which is a bummer. Uh, but fun thing, yesterday my friend sent me over Joe Rogan's performing at the MGM on the uh, J July 1st, a month from today. Uh, so we're going to check Joe Rogan out after dinner, um, and then we'll have UFC 276 all day Saturday. Your boy is hyped. Your boy is hyped. The Burgos fight would have been just a little bit of sprinkle on top, but the potential for the 276 card is out of this world. So as Bart, Bart Scott always says, can't wait. Can't wait. 
In the fighting world, Gervonta Davis this past weekend with the unanimous decision. I did not watch it. I watched the highlights, uh, but a name in boxing to consider. There was rumors of um, um, Ryan Garcia potentially fighting him, but Ryan Garcia booked another fight instead. Uh, but good win by Gervonta Davis. In the Ultimate Fighter world, there was the Episode 5. Very underwhelming again. Um, really just seeing who's going to be the best of the best fighters, what what comes out of this. But uh, it was kind of a cool story of the guy that was in the Ultimate Fighter 2 coming back, but he's 43 years old. Even if he did do well in the Ultimate Fighter, you know, it's not like his career would last much longer unless he's Randy Couture 2.0. And then other than that, this weekend we have UFC Vegas 56. It's a 1 p.m. Pacific main card start, so the prelims happening in the morning. The main card starting early day, so an early action for you this Saturday. Um, in the prelims, we have Aaron Coldblooded Blanchfield, who is 23 years old with a seven and one record, taking on JJ Aldrich, uh, who's 29 years old with an 11 and four record. Now Blanchfield is a big favorite here. Uh, but we counted out, I counted out JJ in her last fight and she showed how tough she is. She's gritty. She has some momentum. So this is going to be a fun fight. You know, I'm surprised that this is the opening bout to be honest, as I think it's a pretty high level fight, but they're, you know, I think Aaron's a minus 400 favorite. So that might have something to do with it. Um, Aaron, she does have a black belt in BJJ, uh, out of the Renzo Gracie Academy. She's an Evicta alum. And she's on a five-fight winning streak, two of them being in the UFC. While JJ fights out of Elevation Fight Team, she's a third-degree black belt in Taekwondo. She has a brown belt in BJJ. And she's on a three-fight winning streak. Now, I think this fight is closer than the odds makers are giving you know credit, especially to JJ. But Aaron has looked really solid. And she's only 23 years old. The fight against Miranda Maverick really opened my eyes of what she's capable of. And I do believe she will continue winning here. Um, due to the odds, if you're doing a parlay, I'm not sure if I'd put this in the parlay because it's not going to give you a, a huge benefit of the doubt and you never know with JJ. But I am taking the very young, cold-blooded Aaron Blanchfield. Then we have Jeffrey El Jefe Molina, 24 years old with a 10-2 and record taking on Zalgas Zumogov, 33 years old, with a 14-6 and record. And this is another fun fight early on in the prelims. Um, you know, no, no UFC this past weekend, so maybe I'm just excited about all fights. Uh, but Molina's a hot fighter right now, and Zalgas is no joke. It's pretty similar to the Aaron and uh, JJ, JJ fight. Zalgas has been there. He's gritty. He's tough. Uh, Molina, you know, a young prospect looking good, uh, taking a step forward. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they match up. Now, this will be the best test for Molina thus far. So, you know, a win here would really pull vault him in the in, in this division. But when we look at it, Jeff's on a nine-fight winning streak. Three of those are in the UFC. He is an LFA and Dana White Contender Series alum. He does have a two-and-a-half reach advantage in this fight. And five of his ten wins are via submission. Now, Zalgis, he is on a one-fight losing streak. He is one and three in the UFC, but has faced very good competition like Raul Ian Paiva and Manel Kopp. And seven of his 14 wins are via knockout. Now, again, this is a close fight. I think this will be a must win for Zalgis at the situation that he's at. Um, you know, he is 33 years old. He, he's one and three in the UFC. 
Um, so this is a big prove it fight for him, and, and he might be able to stop Molina. This would be another fight that if I'm parlaying this card, I would not really want to fuck with on a parlay. You know, I'm not even putting any bets, but I like to give you my hypothetical parlays, my confidence levels for betting. But I am taking Molina in this fight. And then we have Joe Selecki, 28 years old with an 11-3 and record, taking on Alex Lico da Silva, 26 years old with a 21-3 and record. Now, this should be another a close fight, a fun fight to watch. You know, this is the best weight class in my division, in my in my mind, the lightweight division. So you have two young guys who could be mainstays in this division moving forward. And, uh, you know, they're looking to climb up the rankings and a, a win against one, you know, a win for one of these fighters would really be a nice resume boost. Joe, he's got a black belt in BJJ. He is a Dana White Contender Series alum. He is coming off a loss. He is 4-1 and one in the UFC. And eight of his 11 wins are via submission. Now, Alex is coming off a loss to a very, very good, well-rounded Brad Riddell. But he is 1-2 and two in the UFC and hasn't fought since the Riddell fight, which was September, so fall of 2020. Um, he does have a 2.5-inch reach advantage in this fight. So it is going to be interesting to see how he looks in the octagon. Is there any ring rust? What's going on? Uh, but I am giving the slight edge to Joe here. Parlay situations, you don't really, I don't really have the confidence in this, but I am taking Joe Selecki in my pick. And then the, the prelim, prelim headliner, we have Felice Little Bulldog Herrig, 37 years old with a 14 and 9 record. And she is taking on Carolina Kowalsiewicz, 36 years old with a 13 and 7 record. And this is a fun rematch from some veteran women in the UFC. They fought back in 2018. Now, Felice has a background in kickboxing, Muay Thai, and BJJ. She is a purple belt in BJJ. She's an Invicta, Bellator, and Ultimate Fighter alum. And she's on a three-fight skid losing streak and hasn't fought since the summer of 2020 and August of 2020. Carolina, meanwhile, has a background in Muay Thai as well and Krav Maga. She's an Invicta alum. And she's on a five-fight losing streak, so even more of a skid. She's been more active. You know, the first fight here um, was in 2018. It was a close split decision going to Carolina. Carolina has been more active since Felice of late. So this could be the loser's last fight in the UFC. Maybe both of their last fights, to be honest. But I am going to take Felice. I rewatched that first fight. Although she hasn't been as active, I do think she is the better fighter. And obviously, Carolina's confidence is pretty low right now on a five-fight skid. So again, not a parlay-confident pick, but I am taking Felice as the pick in this one. And then moving on to the main card, we have Alonzo Atomic Menafield, 34 years old with an 11-3 and record, taking on Askar Mazarov, who's 27 years old with a 27-11 and record. Now, Askar is finally making his UFC debut after some canceled bouts that they tried to match him up against Dustin Jacoby and Ben Rothwell before he left to BKFC. Askar is on a four-fight winning streak. One of those was in BKFC. He trains out of AKA Thailand, and he also has a Sambo background. Now, Alonzo has a football background. He played Juco. He played in the CFL and AFL as well. He is an LFA and Dana White Contender Series alum. 
He's coming off a loss, but he's 5-3 and three in the UFC and has some serious power in his hands. Now, Askar is going to be a tough out for Alonzo because of the stylistic matchup here. With the Sambo background, especially if he gets Alonzo down, Alonzo's a big muscular guy for this weight class, can tire him out. But I do like Alonzo's experience and need for a win here. I believe his power is going to get the job done. Not a parlay confident pick, but I am taking Alonzo Menafield as my winner. And then we have Michael, the lone wolf Trezano, 30 years old with a 10-2 and record, taking on Lucas Almeida, who's 31 years old with a 13-1 and record. And we get another UFC debut in the main card with Lucas Almeida. We already know Trezano, who's a UFC veteran, it seems like, for a while. Um, he trains out of Team Tiger Shulman. He's a tough alum. He also won tough, and he's also a Bellator alum. He is coming off a loss, and he's only 3-2 and two in the UFC since winning the Ultimate Fighter. Lucas is on a one-fight winning streak. Eight of his 13 wins are via knockout, and he trains out of Team Noguera. I think the Lone Wolf gets his first win in 2022 here, but this is going to be a fucking dogfight. This Lucas Almeida guy, you know, he is 31. He's in his prime. I think he is going to be a, a tough out for anybody in this weight class. Again, not a very confident pick for parlay purposes, but I'm taking the lone wolf as my winner. And then the co-main, we have Dan 50K Ige, 30 years old with a 15 and 5 record with the number 10 next to his name, taking on Movsar Evloev, who's 28 years old, an undefeated 15-0 record, and the number 13 next to his name. And what a fight this is going to be, man. Uh, Dan is in a real need for a win after two tough losses and dropping to three and four in the UFC, or dropping three of his last four fights. Movstar is undefeated, but hasn't, you know, really come close to the talent in my mind that Dan Ige possesses, but he has been very impressive in his bouts. This isn't quite to the level of Kamzat versus Gilbert, but this is a big step up for Movsar. We'll really see what he's about in this fight. Dan, he trains out of Extreme Couture. He has a black belt in BJJ and a brown belt in Judo. He does have a D3 wrestling background. He's a Titan FC and Dana White Contender Series alum, and he is on a two-fight losing streak against very good competition. Movsar, he trains out of American Top Team. He is a master of sport in Greco-Roman wrestling, and he's 5-0 in the UFC. Five of his 15 wins are in the UFC. Now, this is a big fight for Movsar's resume and Dan's ego, in my opinion, but it's going to come down to how Dan does with Movsar's wrestling. This is a fight that Dan's getting kind of slapped around with the Vegas odds. I do like Dan. That wrestling, much like the Alonzo Menafield fight, is really going to be critical to see if he can actually strike, get comfortable, and not have to worry about you know exerting energy trying to get back on his feet. I think there is an opportunity Dan catches Movsar, maybe a knee, a nice uppercut, or something of that nature, and a takedown attempt. This would be one I am taking Movsar as the fight winner here. I wouldn't parlay it, but this would be a fun underdog parlay to maybe mix in with some of the other fights that are very close that I talked to with some underdogs. Do a two or three fight underdog parlay for some money. Um, that's probably what I would be looking at. And then the main event. Alexander Drago Volkov, 33 years old, with a 34-10 and 10 record and the number seven next to his name, taking on Jarzinho, Biggie Boy Rosenstrike, 
who's 34 years old with a 12-3 record and the number 8 next to his name. This is another very close fight. I've gone back and forth with this one. It should be a fun striking clinic. No wrestling involved here in the main event. Now, Alexander, he has a black belt in Sushin Jen. Brown belts in Kyoshin Karate and BJJ. He's a Bellator alum. He's coming off a loss and is 1-2 and two in his last three fights. He has continually fought the best of the best in the division. And 22 of his 34 wins are via knockout. Meanwhile, Jarzinho, he also has a kickboxing background. He trains out of ATT. He's coming off a loss and is 2-3 and three in his last five fights. 11 of his 12 wins are via knocked out. So again, I, I kind of expect a kickboxing fight here. I don't expect it to go all five rounds. I personally like what I've seen from Volkov more in the striking department of late. This should be a fun back-and-forth affair with both fighters in their prime. If they do want another title shot, they're going to need a win here. So there's a lot on the line. I am taking Drago in my picks. I know that Jarzinho is a slight underdog. So when we're talking about the underdog parlay, maybe a Jarzinho, you know, Ige uh, underdog parlay would be interesting. I do think Volkov takes this fight, gets gets back in the winning uh, trajectory. But what a fun couple co-mains, couple, you know, wrestling striking matchups. So nice little fight night to prep us for next weekend. We get UFC 275 in Singapore, headlined by Glover Teixeira and Yuri Prashaka. What a nice fun card that's going to be. I'll definitely be putting some bets on that card. Uh, but nice little early Saturday action. It's supposed to be rainy and gray here, so I'll probably be, be down to catch some of that action myself. Moving on to the NBA, the Lakers finally find their coach. They hire Bucks assistant Darvin Ham. Um, you know, I'm happy that it's not Quinn Snyder as a jazz fan, but it seems like uh, a, a good mix and match there as uh, you need a guy that still is going to allow the veterans, a.k.a. LeBron James, to do what he needs to do. And then C.J. McCollum is still an active NBA player, but is joining ESPN in the playoffs. We'll be doing an annual uh, work with them, so uh, bravo to C.J., and then Jalen Brown of the Celtics, the first NBA athlete to join Kanye West Donda Sports. Um, interesting to see how that had gone down, but there, there's a few different athletes across different um, uh, leagues joining Donda Sports. Uh, I'm really just curious what the vision is there, what the benefits to the athletes are working with uh, Ye, it, it, you know, one-on-one. Yay and A.B., well, we're going to pick up where we left off after episode uh, the last episode, and that is Wednesday of last week. We we stepped into a 2-2 series, headed to Miami, and the Celtics really switched the series up at this point. They hold the Heat to 80 points, which is brutal for Miami. They went 93-80 to to take a 3-2 lead, headed back to Boston, and everything was looking good for the Celtics at this point. The Celtics were led by Jalen Brown, who had 25 points, but only on 19 shots. So not the most efficient line. Uh, Tatum had a nice 22, 12, and 9. That was also on 20 shots. So not the most efficient offensive game for either team. The Celtics shot 30% from three, 46% from the field. But Miami, a putrid 15%, 7 of 45 from three, and 32% from the field. And their high scorer was Bam Adebayo, who had 18 and 10 for 15 shots. The big guy, uh, usually when you're putting up points as a center, they're pretty efficient, tip-ins, layups, things like that. 
Uh, so tough, brutal loss for Miami. And uh, everyone's thinking Celtics to the finals at this point. Well, the Warriors didn't need to get any kind of close situation like the Eastern Conference Finals. They handled business as they beat uh, the Dallas Mavericks 120-110 to last Thursday to take the series 4-1. And uh, really, it come down to firepower. There were six players in double digits for the Warriors, all five starters. Clay Thompson caught fire. One of the Splash Bros with 32 points on 25 shots. He was 8 of 16 from 3. Um, Dallas did shoot pretty well from three as a team. They shot 40%. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie did his best off the bench, 26 points on 12 shots, five of seven from three. But Luka Doncic had a brutal game in Luka Doncic's world, right? He still put up 28 points, nine rebounds, six assists, but that was on 28 shots, three of 13 from three. The gas ran empty on the Mavericks, but what a very impressive season. For Luka not to have true superstars are surrounding him. Obviously, there was improvements from um, Jalen Brunson. You added Spencer Dinwiddie. There was no Tim Hardaway. But it'll be really fun to see the offseason for Dallas, what Mark Cuban has stirred up. Because they do add some big names. This team is going to be dangerous. But let's, let's catch back up on Friday's action. As Miami tries to survive, and they do just that, beating the Celtics in Boston. In the Garden, 111 to 103. Um, really, all you had to say about this game was Jimmy Butler giving it his all. The man put up 47 points, nine rebounds, eight assists on 29 shots. He was four of eight from three. Miami shot 43% from three and held the Celtics to 33%. Uh, the Boston Celtics were led by Tatum, who tried to combat uh, Butler. He had a nice 30 points, nine rebounds, four assists. Um, did have seven turnovers, but that was on 12 shots. So very efficient game from Tatum. Jalen Brown had 20 in the starting lineup and Derek White with 22 off the bench. He was four of seven from three, but this was all Miami and all Jimmy motherfucking buckets. You love to see it as he's not healthy. I mean, we look at the health of Miami. They still are without uh, Tyler Hero at this point. Uh, Morris isn't even a part of the rotation. Caleb Martin putting in some decent minutes, but Oladipo hasn't been fully back. Kyle Lowry is battling injuries. He he put up his best game. Good to see him combat some bad games. 18 and 10, uh, 4 and 9 from 3. But uh, P.J. Tucker also battling injuries. And yes, Tatum had a little knee injury. Robert Williams has been battling injuries as well as Marcus Smart. But Miami was my pick. Once the playoffs started to win it all, I, f I still feel good about that today, even knowing the result of the series. And I think they were my preseason uh, Eastern Conference final team. So, hey, uh, this team is solid. You know, they don't have all the superstars, but it's that Miami Heat culture. They find a way. And what an impressive win. What a show out by Jimmy Butler, no matter the outcome of Game 7. What a fucking playoff run for Miami. Jimmy Butler, it'll be exciting, much like the Mavericks, to see what their offseason plans include. So then we had Saturday off. Sunday was Game 7. And what a fun game this was. Boston was cruising through most of the game. They win 196, but Miami kept battling, kept battling. You know, they the Celtics would go up 15. Miami would bring it to six. The Celtics go back up to 15. The heart, the, the culture that Miami has is what was most impressive to me. And Jimmy Butler tried again. You know, he put up 35 points, nine rebounds on 24 shots, but the team shot 20% from three compared to the Celtics 35 
Um, they held Boston to 100. Usually that's a winning situation. And Boston just went to their stars. Tatum had 26, 10, and 6 on 21 shots. Marcus Smart had 24 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists on 22 shots. And Jalen Brown, 24, 6, and 6 on 15 shots. That was enough for the Celtics to earn their right to the NBA Finals, which is wild after the crazy situation uh, of last year, the start, the first half of this year, where people were calling for the Celtics to blow it up. Here they are in the NBA Championship in a season where it's anybody's game. So I had picked Miami versus the Suns at the start of the playoffs. I believe I had picked... Um, God, let me pull it up, actually. I literally just looked at this, but... And, and you know, there's a lot that's changed in, in the season, including the Nets. But I had Nets, Jazz, NBA Finals. Uh, probably a little biasy on that, but obviously wasn't was quite off when you look at the, the, the championship teams. But the Eastern Conference, Western Conference Finals, I had Warriors, Jazz, Nets, Heat. So I had the Warriors, I had the Heat in the Eastern Western Finals. So don't feel terrible about that. But today it is Thursday. Today is game one of the NBA Finals, 6 p.m. Pacific on ABC. I'll be tuning in, that's for sure. And I am confident that the Warriors are going to win. My first reaction after the games without diving into it, I was thinking Celtics because of Marcus Smart's ability to play defense, maybe frustrate Steph Curry a little bit, um, just the defensive unit that um, the Celtics have. But with these few days off, I think the health ability of getting Gary Payton back, um, getting... Let's see. Warriors, depth chart... Having Otto Porter's length and defensive ability is going to be big. Um, obviously, some rest and Andre Iguodala for some defensive length as well. I think those defensive additions uh, pay dividends, but the offensive firepower for the Warriors, you know, I think they're going to frustrate Tatum. So Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart are going to have to deliver. I'd rather trust in Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, and even Jonathan Kaminga's offensive ability. So the biggest thing was. First off, they've been there multiple times. If you had one player to pick, it's going to be Steph Curry. And if you you eliminate one or two offensive pieces, I still believe the Warriors have more ability. I do think the Celtics have better defense, but I am worried about Marcus Smart's health, Jason Tatum's health, as they went grinded out by the Heat while the Warriors have been chilling for quite some time. So I'm going to go with the Warriors in six. That's my prediction. We will see what happens. It should be a fun one. Switching gears to the ice, back to the NHL playoffs. I'm repping uh, Nathan McKinnon, one of the best players in the NHL, if not the best player in the NHL. Got my new Avs hat as well. The Avs are rocking and rolling. Woo! It's going to be a fun finish. And when we looked at last episode, we were we were in a 3-1 series. And I'm thinking the Avs are going to easily go through and, um, you know, hopefully let Edmonton and... Um, Edmonton and Calgary battle it out, you know, beat each other up. Well, Edmonton took care of business and the Avalanche didn't quite do that. The Blues are a very solid team, a 49-win team. They won in overtime. What a wild game this was to make the series 3-2. Um, the Blues played, played you know, the Avs tougher than anybody thus far in the playoffs, clearly. The Avs did outshoot the, the Blues in this game. 
Uh, but the Blues out hit them. They played them physically. That's what you have to do. But in the first period, it was all Nathan McKinnon. He has a sixth and seventh playoff goals via power play. So Colorado's out to a 2-0 lead. I'm feeling good. Add that, Gabriel Landeskog, sixth playoff goal. They're up 3-0. I actually had switched off to the game, I believe. There was a basketball game at the same time. But then Vladimir Tarasenko gets the sixth playoff goal to make it 1-3. You add in three Blues goals in the fourth, um, including Jordan Kairou's sixth playoff goal. And then Nathan McKinnon with the hat trick in the third um, with his eighth playoff goal. It goes 3-4. Avs, Robert Thomas ties it up 4-4. And then in overtime, right at the start of overtime, Tyler Bozak finishes the game. So I'm a little bummed, but I'm still feeling good. The Avalanche are battling. The goalie play hasn't been amazing. Kemper, you know, ever since the eye poke with Nashville, you never know what's going on. So we move to Thursday. Like I said, Edmonton takes care of business in overtime. They had a scrap. They had a battle. There was a controversial goal here, which I'm still not sure why it didn't count as a goal. You know, Calgary felt like they're completely robbed, but at the end of the day, Edmonton was going to win the series. So um, pretty much statistically, everything pretty pretty similar besides face-offs were very heavily in Calgary's um, side, 38-19. to 19. But Calgary started the game 2-0. Andrew uh, Magapani with his third playoff goal and Mikel Backlund with his fifth playoff goal. Well, Edmonton fires back to make it a 2-2 game. And then Zach Hyman in the second period gets his eighth playoff goal via power play to go up 3-2. Well, of course, old good Johnny Gaudreau, every time they needed a goal, he gets one to even it up. Uh, they take a 4-3 lead. That's how crazy this game is. In the 16th minute, Evan Bouchard gets his third playoff goal to tie it up. And then Connor McDavid, of all people, their star player, potentially the best player in hockey with a seventh playoff goal to get the job done to finish the series. And as an Avs fan, I'm like, oh, you know, you know, the idea of McKinnon, McDavid, McDavid gets the job done. McKinnon had a hack trick. It wasn't enough. Uh, what, what a fun series. The Battle of Alberta was, even though it was a 4-1 series. And then uh, Carolina takes a series lead at home. They continue to win at home. They go up 3-1 over the Rangers, and I'm thinking Carolina is going to uh, win this series. Uh, they outshot New York by 17 shots. Vincent Trocek started off the, the scoring with his fourth playoff goal. Then Mika Zabanjed ties it up 1-1 for his sixth playoff goal via power play. Uh, Tivo Tervanian with his fourth playoff goal in the second via power play. And then Andrei Shev uh, Shevchinkov with his uh, fourth playoff goal to go up 3-1. Carolina's cruising, looking good. I just did not think the winner of Pittsburgh, New York, was going to be able to handle Carolina, but they're still alive. And then Friday to start the weekend, my avalanche closed business, 3-2, to two, still a crazy game. You, you don't even want to think about it, but the idea of St. Louis winning here and going to Game 7, not ideal. Uh, Colorado continues to outshoot their opponents. They uh, had 19 more shots on goal than St. Louis, but St. Louis started the scoring in the first 1-0. Uh, JT Comfer with his first playoff goal in the second, then Jordan Cairo with the seventh to make it 2-1. Well, in the third period, JT Comfer has another one, second via power play, and then Darren Holm with the, the game-winning uh, shot with six seconds left in regulation. What a wild scene. Colorado uh, turns up. Now they get a host, Edmonton, in the McDavid-McKinnon series. That's what people want to see. Well, let's go back into the Carolina Rangers series that 
uh, gets pushed to game seven on Saturday. The Rangers handle Carolina at home five to two. And statistically, whoops. Statistically, Carolina outshot the Rangers by 14 shots, but only got two goals. I mean, you gotta you gotta be impressed with the goalie play by the Rangers. Um, all playoffs, it, it's really just been um, it's been a wild postseason for them. I mean, you think about Game One against the Penguins, how 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 tough of a loss that was at home. They've battled back. They've done their business. They forced Game Seven at home, even though they were outshot by 14 goals. Um. Mika Zabanjed got his seventh goal in the first period via power play to go up 2-0. They scored two more in the second period. Uh, Carolina scored two in the second period to make it 4-2. Vincent Trocek with his fifth playoff goal. And then Artemi Panarin with his fourth playoff goal via power play in the third to get the job done for the Rangers. And like I said, I didn't think the Rangers had much of a chance. I mean, in playoff hockey, it's going to go... A lot of games, but uh, here we are, Game 7 on Monday in Carolina. Carolina hasn't lost on home ice. And the Rangers' story continues. Um, A 52-win team versus a 54-win team. I mean, pretty even on paper. But I just thought Carolina was the better team. Carolina outshot the Rangers by 8. They had 24 more faceoff wins, 48-24, to and still can't get the win. How crazy is that? In the first period, Adam Fox with his fifth via power play. Chris Kreider with his seventh via power play to go up 2-0. They get another one in the second. Chris Kreider with another goal with his eighth to go up 4-0. And at this point, four minutes into the third period, you're thinking it's over. Well, Vincent Trochet gets his sixth playoff goal via power play to make it 4-1. But uh, uh, Philip Cheadle with his fifth playoff goal and Andrew Kopp with his sixth They win 6-2. It's all Rangers. Carolina definitely looked defeated by the third period. So the Rangers get a chance to go to the the finals against Tampa Bay. But um, all all we got to see was the start of this week on Tuesday. Colorado hosting the Oilers. I'm freaking out as this game is just as crazy as the Edmonton-Calgary game one of a final score of 8-6. But it shouldn't have been that close. The Avalanche were up at one point. Six to or seven to three in the second, but Evander Kane, the most playoff goals thus far, scores his 13th playoff goal to open it up. JT Comfer stays hot with his third playoff goal to even it up 1 1. Nathan McKinnon outdoing McDavid, you gotta love it. Ninth playoff goal to go 9 1 or 2 1. Zach Hyman gets his ninth playoff goal to even it up. Kel McCarr with his fourth playoff goal to go 3 2. That's after one, five goals. Starting the second period, Nazem Kadri via power play. Kadri gets his sixth playoff goal to go up 4-2. Um, the Edmonton adds a goal. The Avs add a goal, but JT Comfort gets another one. Two goal games. Goes up 6-3. Uh, Connor McDavid gets his eighth playoff goal to make it 4-7. Then in the third, they get back-to-back playoff goals. Ryan Nugent Hopkins with his fifth via power play to make it 6-7. I'm a little uneased. Well, the Avs battle it out. They get an empty net goal by Gabriel Landeskog for the seventh playoff goal. The Avs win game one. To me, it just shows that nobody can compete with the speed and the the offensive firepower that the Avalanche have. But goalie play, you know, not the best, right? Uh, Kemper's out. They they now have Francois in. 
Um, Kemper, you don't know if his eyesight issues, his upper body injury, what it really exists of. But uh, Smith for the Edmonton team hasn't performed that well either. So in my mind, that's going to be enough for the Avalanche to advance to the Stanley Cup championship. You know, you would think the Rangers, not as tough of a matchup, but they've been scrapping all playoff long. Tampa Bay, a proven team, a championship team, good goalie play. That could be interesting. Time will tell what happens. Well, game one on Wednesday, the Rangers blow it open in New York. I just can't believe it. It's 6-2. to two. Um, The game goes 1-1 in the first. Chris Kreider for the Rangers with his ninth playoff goal to open it up. Steven Samkos ties it up 1-1 with the fifth playoff goal. So we enter the second period. Frank Vetrano for New York gets his fourth playoff goal to go 2-1. Andrej Palat gets his fifth playoff goal to tie it up 2-2. Cheadle with his sixth playoff goal and seventh playoff goal in the second. Nice little second for him to go up uh, 4-2. And then in the third period, Panarin gets another goal and Zabanjid gets his eighth via power play to wrap it up 6-2. And I think just the hockey world is a little in shock by that performance. But game two in Colorado tonight on TNT, 5 p.m. game. Super stoked for that. Um, you got to love these NHL playoffs, though. I've just enjoyed them a little more than the NBA playoffs personally. Again, it could be biasy because my Jazz went out early and the Avalanche are still in it. But these series have been crazy. The fact that New York's even in it, then they win 6-2. We get McDavid versus McKinnon. I mean, those are the storylines that the NBA was missing this year, in my opinion. The stars versus the stars. People love to see it. Um, but regardless, we're going to talk some MLB action, and I get to see what my angels have been up to since I've been on. But uh, the White Sox officially DFA Dallas Keuchel ever since injury. Keuchel hasn't been quite the same pitcher as he was in, in Houston, and uh, I don't know if he'll have—I'm sure he'll get another opportunity somewhere. I just don't expect him to be the high-level pitcher that he once was. Not everyone could be in their mid-40s and recover from injuries and do well. There's not everyone's a Justin Verlander-type pitcher. Last weekend series, some some good solid series against high quality teams. The Toronto Blue Jays are getting hot. They sweep my Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim 4-0 brutal series and weekend for me after such the hot start. Um, the, the Angels pitching kind of falls off. The bullpen falls apart, which has been their 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 strongest you know unit moving forward. The Rays beat the Yankees in that fun AL East battle two to one. In the NL East, the Braves beat the Marlins 2-1. The Mets sweep the Phillies 3-0 as the Phillies just can't quite figure it out. And the Cardinals beat the Brewers 2-1 uh, as the Cardinals are looking to take the division over and lead from the Brewers. You know, we look at the standings today. The Yankees clearly ahead of um, the AL with 34 wins. In the AL East, they got a five-game cushion over the Blue Jays and five and a half above the Rays. The Red Sox have played decent ball of late, but are 11 back. They're, they're just under 500. In the AL Central, it's clearly the Twins division. They have a five-game lead ahead the Guardians and White Sox. The White Sox injury woes just keep continuing. We'll see if they can battle out. And then in my Angels AL West, the Astros are a five-and-a-half game ahead of the Angels. And then the Rangers are not that far back, um, right under 500 as well. In the NL... The NL East, that that coveted race that, that they have going on, the Mets are ten and a half ahead of the Braves, who are under 500. 12 and a half back are the Phillies, seven games under 500. 
You know, you thought this would be quite a battle. I was hoping New York would fall off. My preseason prediction, I think I had Atlanta Phillies Mets. Maybe Atlanta Mets Phillies. But clearly the Mets are riding high. They have the most wins in baseball. In the NL Central, that St. Louis Cardinals-Brewers battle is fun. The Cardinals are two back after winning that series. And then in the NL West, the Dodgers three games ahead of the Padres. They have 33 wins. The Padres 30. The Giants are five games of five above 500 and five and a half back of the Doyers. I loved that the Pirates swept the Phillies, though, or the Pirates swept the Dodgers, though. Take that, Doyers. Um. Anyways, this weekend we have some other fun series. The Giants host are the Mar- Marlins hosting the Giants. We have Angels, Phillies, little NLAL battle. Um, both teams on skids, right? Both teams really need to be able to pick things up. The Angels are on a six-game losing streak, about to make it seven, assuming they lose today, which it's six to zero in New York. So that's brutal. And they're supposed to be a doubleheader if it doesn't get rained out. But the Angels in their last ten are three and seven. The Phillies are three and seven as well. Let's see the Twins hosting the Blue Jays, the Red Hot Blue Jays, who are eight and two in their last ten, and the Twins are four and six in their last ten. The Rays hosting the White Sox, the White Sox trying to get back on track. The Rangers hosting the the Mariners as two teams are trying to battle their way in the AL West. That'll be fun. The Brewers hosting the Padres. The Brewers are six and four in their last ten. The Padres are. Four and six in their last 10. Um, And then the Dodgers hosting the Mets, the two best records in baseball. You love to see it. That's the type of series that fans want. In the NFL, the Browns extend David Njoku, four-year $56.8 million deal. Quite the contract for the the big boy tight end. Um, you know, they brought in Austin Hooper. I thought in Joku's days might be past him, but he is the guy that they extend. Um, sadly, Stefan Tuitt of Pittsburgh ends up retiring right on the June 1st deadline, helped save some money. But the brutal thing is, is two days before the Tampa Bay Buccaneers signed Akeem Hicks to a one-year $10 million deal. That is the guy you want in Pittsburgh. If Tuitt was already retired, do you assume that, you know, they sign him, they have the cap space to do so, but he goes to Tampa Bay and joins the elite, you know, veteran-led team with Tom Brady. Uh, Frank Gore to, uh, to retire as a 49er. I don't think there's any surprise there. What a fucking beast he was. And then Ryan Fitzpatrick retiring after 17 seasons, but supposedly might have a role for the Amazon production crew, which would be a lot of fun. And then in sadder news, Marion Barber found dead at his home at 38 years old. You hate to see it. That's too soon. That's like eight years away from me. And I just couldn't imagine what the family goes through. Uh, the close ones of Marion Barber. Uh, but to celebrate his, you know, as an athlete, uh, an amazing career. The guy was a tough son of a bitch. Broke tackles, did his thing. But you hate to see it, you know, someone taken way too soon. So, um, you know, God bless Marion Barber's family and, and people close to him, ex-teammates and everybody else. You, you hate to see it. Outside of that, some other hitters in the sports world. The USA soccer team has an international friendly against Morocco yesterday and wins 3-0. They take on Uruguay Sunday at 2 p.m. as they get things prepared for the for the World Cup. 
Rodgers and Brady's uh, uh, Rodgers and Brady beats Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen in the match yesterday. I did not watch it. I don't really care for it, but it sounds like there was some fun shit talking and and things going on, including Josh Allen saying he doesn't eat hardly and throws up before game days, which is pretty wild. Um, but I picked Rodgers and Brady in a little pick 'em thing. I assumed they would win. They did. It looked like Rodgers had some pretty clutch putts. And then the French Open, the clay motherfucking champion, Rafa Nadal, beats Djokovic in the battle in the French Open. A four and a half hour match. What a fucking performance. What a great matchup. I'm not a huge tennis fan, but I love me some Rafa. I love it when he beats the Joker. And uh, in the French Open on clay, I hope he keeps continuing his reign, gets another championship uh, because Rafa is the motherfucking man. It's like Tiger Woods, Rafa. As a kid, I didn't play golf. I didn't play tennis, but those are the guys. It's like the Michael Jordan effect of their sport, and I love to see it. Episode 85, we out here. Keep putting in content on the weekly sports podcast. Check out fueledsupplements.com. You're looking for some supplements. You, you need some recommendations. We can point you in the right direction. Again, you know, every week I talk about, you know, the, those main sports, NFL, UFC, NBA, MLB, NHL. You have content you want me to talk about. Dive into your teams. Love to do it. Give me the feedback. But I'll see you guys next week after the Avs go up in the series. Let's go!